Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all and to worship with you uh, on a finally kind of a nice weather day until we just looked out and saw snow coming again. So it's just kind of, I guess, Sundays, something about it. But sure good to be with you and to worship with you. I, I want you to consider this morning as we begin, what are you passionate about? What drives you? What gets you excited? Now, I think living in America, we know many people are passionate about sports teams, right? And I've gotten to know here at Calvary, there is a wide range of people who are sports fans of different teams. And so we've got a bunch of Vikings fans. We have some misguided Packer fans. We have Twins fans, and we've got Wild fans and Loon fans, and the list goes on and on. Now, we all know that when someone, uh, you know, is passionate about a sports team, we call them a fan, right? Which comes from the bigger word, fanatic, which is kind of a, a, an interesting word, right? Do you know anyone who is a fanatic about a sports team? I have a friend named Rich, who I think might be one of the biggest Vikings fanatics around. Uh, he and his some friends a few years ago bought a school bus off of eBay, and they turned it into a Vikings school bus, and they drive it down to Vikings games, and they go on the road to watch a bunch of the Vikings road games. So probably about six, seven years ago, he invited me to go with this group down to Green Bay to see the Vikings play the Packers. And they love to do it up. It's all purple everything, and they're loud, and they're obnoxious. And I'm kind of thinking, hey, we're in hostile territory. What's going to happen? And so we go into the game, and he is head to toe in bright purple and he never sits down the entire game and he yells the entire time and I'm like we're gonna get stabbed at some point the thing is by the end of the game we lost like 41 to 3 and so the Packer fans around us were giving us hugs saying I hope it's okay <laughs> they were actually impressed by Rich's passion now of course there are so many different things to be passionate about other than sports teams so what are you especially passionate about? It might be your career. It might be your car. It might be your grandkids. It might be traveling or hunting or fishing or knitting or the list goes on and on. What are you passionate about? Now, the Bible uses a word again and again in both the Old Testament and the New Testament to describe the bundle of emotions that God has put in us, and it's the word heart. Our heart are the things that we desire, our passions, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our affect affections. It's the things that we care most about, the things that we love to do. Now, did you know, physiologically, every human being has a unique heartbeat? There is something about our heartbeat that differentiates us from everyone else. And so just like we have different fingerprints, we have a unique heart print. I was reading there is a company developing a, a way for us to log into electronic devices that is in conjunction with our unique heartbeat. Well, the same thing is also true about us emotionally. There are some things that you might care about deeply that many other people don't. There are things that I care about that maybe you don't. We each have a unique heart print, a unique 
heart beats. And that is something that God has wired us up with, something that he has put deep within us. And it helps describe how he's designed us to interact with the world. Now, one of the scripture verses that refers to this is Proverbs 27, which simply says, as a face is reflected in the water, so the heart reflects the real person. So just like you can look at yourself in the mirror, it's our heart, it's our, that, those emotions that God has put within us, it's that unique heartbeat that we have that reflects who we really are in Christ Jesus. Your heartbeat is one of the things that makes you most you. God gave you an emotional heartbeat that will race when you encounter the people, places, or things that God has wired you up to especially care about. So we're in the series called On Purpose, where what we're talking about is how each one of us has a distinct purpose that God has given to us. And the way we like to say this is, you were made on purpose for a purpose. It's no mistake that you are who you are and that you are wired up the way that you are wired up and that you are living in this place and this time with people in your life. God created you on purpose for a purpose. And for us to understand this and to live into it in the best way, we need to understand better how God has designed us to be as individuals and as a church. And so we've been using an acronym called SHAPE. And SHAPE stands for five different parts of who God created us to be. It's our spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences. So last week we talked about our spiritual gifts. And our spiritual gifts are something that is given to us out of God's grace by the Holy Spirit. When we become believers in Jesus, one of the things that happens is the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and becomes our guide and our teacher and our advocate. And the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are additional power to accomplish God's purpose. It's additional power that comes from God to fulfill the purpose that he's given to us. Every believer is given the gift of spiritual gifts. Now, while there might be many people in the body of Christ who have the same gifts that you do, every one of us has a different heart. You might be motivated to use your gifts in a different way than anyone else. We might have the same gifts, the same abilities, but a different heart, a different motivation, a different passion. Maybe a different way to say this is your giftedness helps explain who you are in Christ. Your giftedness helps explain who you are in Christ, while your heart explains where and how you should apply who you are. So you're given these gifts. You have all of this potential given by God 
It's your heart that determines where you should apply that, where you should live that out, the people that will most benefit from you living into your purpose. Your heart will draw you to a particular group of people or a cause or a problem in the world. And so it's vital that we take the time to examine our hearts to determine where we can best use our gifts to the glory of God, where we can best serve others in Jesus' name, and where we can best make an impact for him in the world. Now, this is so important because every one of us knows it's passionate people who get things done, right? Isn't it hard to accomplish a task when you don't really care about it? Like, I'm horrible at home projects, and so I can get started, but I have very little passion behind it. And like six months later, we have half a wall painted. Passionate people get things done. Now think about this in the Bible. Moses was passionate about rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. He would stop at nothing to do what God called him to do. Think about the Apostle Paul who was passionate about the gospel and he traveled around the world, faced shipwrecks and persecution and beatings, yet his heart was all about preaching the gospel no matter what. Think about maybe with a more contemporary example, Martin Luther King Jr. was passionate about civil rights and equality and fighting injustice wherever he could. Think for a moment about the most passionate person that you know. Who is someone in your life who is so passionate about something that they will stop at nothing to living out that call on their life? Well, I think one of the best examples of this from the Old Testament is the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah remain passionate even amidst struggles and hardships and a whole lot of friction. Jeremiah had an unbelievable heart and passion for sharing God's word with the people of Judah, even though his message was tough and unpopular. And throughout his ministry, Jeremiah faced plots against his life, and he was persecuted again and again. He came up against false prophets and evil kings, and he was often ignored and marginalized. Yet he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God had called him and placed this call in his heart. One time he was facing a bunch of pushback and friction, and here was Jeremiah's response in chapter 20, verse 9. He said, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. This passion was so deep within him, it was like a fire. And he's saying there is no way he could keep this to himself, even as he was mistreated, even as he was ignored, and his life was on the line. You know what? God has created you to have a similar passion 
But the problem is, a majority of people today have never explored this or thought about it or ever acted on the passion that God has placed within them. And I think it's oftentimes because as we navigate life, we end up with a heart condition. Things happen in our life that cause us to push those passions down and to ignore them. Now, sometimes this comes because we have been hurt. Maybe as a young child, you stepped out in faith and you were hurt in the process. Maybe it didn't go the way that you thought it would go. Maybe it's because of fear in our hearts. What are other people going to think or say? How am I going to be treated? How am I going to be received? Maybe it's guilt. I mean, we know what we've done and said and thought over the years. Who are we to step out in faith? Who are we to represent God? Maybe it's rejection. Maybe you've had a friend or an ex-spouse or someone else in your life who's rejected and hurt you. Well, we need to remember the promise that comes in Psalm 34, 18, where it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe the first step for you today is to allow Jesus to minister to your heart because he is close to the brokenhearted. Because of his grace, he can heal your heart. He can deal with all the hurt and the fear and the guilt and the rejection that maybe you carry with you. And remember, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, he sees you as a masterpiece. He sees you as a vital part of his plan. And he's placed a unique heartbeat within you. And he's calling you to follow his lead in faith. To follow the heart that he's given you. So I think there are five things that we need to consider as we identify that heartbeat that he's placed within us. The first thing, we need to know what drives us. Have you taken the time to intentionally discover the passion that God has given you? Do you know your heart? What do you love to do? What do you dream about doing for God? As you look back at your life, where have you been most effective? What makes you come alive? You know, oftentimes we stuff those passions and those dreams away because life gets so busy and so chaotic, and sometimes we are so practical. But God's purposes develop in our life when we listen to the heartbeat that he's put within us. We can best discover our design and our purpose when we focus on the passions that God has put within us and not cover them up any longer. Know what drives you. Number two, we need to know who we care about. Now, of course, we are called to care about everyone, but God has placed people in your life that you are uniquely positioned to help and to reach out to. Remember, the Apostle Paul was specifically called to minister to the Gentiles, while Peter was called to specifically minister to the Jews. Who is God calling you? 
Who is God nudging you to help? And how can you use your particular gifts to help them? Now, you might be drawn to people in crisis or people experiencing marital strife or maybe people who are lonely. Maybe you're called to mentor teenagers or to speak life into young children. Or maybe it's a specific demographic group. Maybe it's business people. Maybe it's married couples. Maybe it's single adults. Maybe it's young children. Maybe it's the elderly. Who do you feel like you can best impact for God? What ages or affinities are you most drawn to? How can you impact people in a way that maximizes the gifts that God has given you? Now, it's been such a joy getting to know so many people in this congregation who are doing precisely this. People who are living into their calling to help a specific group of people. We have people that give up their time to go volunteer in Grace Place with children each week. We have people that come Wednesday after Wednesday to help out with youth and lead small groups. We have all sorts of people leading adult small groups. We have people that go out to elementary schools to read to kids, to tutor kids, people who are working with the hungry and the homeless. I've been so encouraged on Wednesday nights during our Lenten series. We have 600 people coming to pack this place, and then after the service, adults that are staying 30, 45 minutes or more to individually mentor teenagers. It's unbelievable. It's awesome. Know who you care about. Number three, know the needs you will meet. Once you identify your target audience, you need to determine what needs you can meet. Because, of course, you will never be able to meet every single need, no matter how gifted or driven you are. One of the places that you can start is by focusing on the needs that God has met in your life. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Maybe you face something painful in your life. Maybe you've been through a long and dark valley God can use our weaknesses, our failures, our pain, and our suffering, as well as our strength and our passions. You see, the struggles that we have and that we've faced can maybe best connect us with others who are facing the same struggles in their life. Number four, we need to know the cause that we will help conquer. Perhaps you've heard of a man named Millard Fuller before. He was a very, very successful businessman, and he left it all behind to follow the passion that God put in his heart. And his passion was to build homes for families with little or no income. So in the 1970s, Fuller and his associates formed an organization that I'm sure you've heard of, Habitat for Humanity. And 40 years later, Habitat has provided housing for thousands upon thousands of low-income families around the world. And it's one of the best-known service organizations on the planet. 
all because one man decided to use what God had given him to champion a cause greater than himself. Now, maybe your passion isn't the homeless. Maybe your passion is education or HIV AIDS or hunger or addiction. God is stirring something in your heart, a cause that he has personally chosen you to take on. Now, this doesn't mean that if you don't form a worldwide organization, you're somehow a failure. Because we know from scripture that every individual person matters. We're called to just start with one. Number five. Know your ultimate dream for God's kingdom. There's a great author named John Eldridge. And this is what he says. Our goal here on earth is to recover that adventure God wrote on your heart when he made you. Your deepest desires reveal your deepest calling, the adventure God has for you. You must decide whether or not you'll exchange a life of control born out of fear for a life of risk born out of faith. So if you had the permission to do what you really want to do, what would you do for God? Now, most of us are so practical, the first question we ask is how. But don't ask how. How is God's department? He's asking you today, what? What is written on your heart? Now, way too often, our dreams get stuffed down and hidden away and buried in the daily grind of our life. And we also need to remember, not every dream on our heart is of God. Paul talks about this in Romans 7 and 8, where he says there's the desires of our flesh and the desires of the spirit, and they wage war against each other every day. And Paul says even he struggled with this in Romans 7. Sometimes we might feel like our dream and our desire is for more wealth, comfort, success, personal glory, and those things block a passion for God and his glory. And so victory over those selfish desires only comes through the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this in Romans 8 too. He says, for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. Where in your heart is your selfishness and your self-centeredness getting in the way of what God has called you to do? Dream big, but make sure that your dreams align with God's purpose and God's word. There's another great promise that comes in Psalm 37.4. We heard this in our Bible reading today. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now think about this for a moment. What does it look like to delight yourself in the Lord? And what are the desires of your heart? 
Does this mean if we do daily Bible study, we're going to win the lottery? Of course not. Fix your eyes on the cross. Be all about his mission. And he will give you the desires of the unique heartbeat that he has placed within you to make an impact in this world for him. You see, when you start living out your God-given heart, it puts everything else in its proper order. You stop worrying about your personal status, but you start enjoying real significance. When you start following your God-given heart, you stop trying to climb that never-ending ladder of success, but you are more confident and secure ever than ever being exactly who God created you to be. And when you start following your heart, you stop obsessing over money and wealth and stuff of this world, which really isn't important, but instead you are focused on meaning. And you know what? Every day, meaning is so much more important than money. There was a gifted young man who had a very bright future, and he went into the mission field, and his salary was minuscule. Well, eventually a large company wanted him to come back and work for them. So they offered him five times his missionary salary. And he flat out rejected it. So they came back with another offer and they said, we'll give you ten times your present salary. And immediately he refused. They came back again with even more money. And the man told them, oh, the salary is big enough. It's the job that's not. God didn't put you on this earth to acquire a bunch of things and stuff. There is nothing like finding your God-given purpose and living into it. When we operate out of our heart and our passions, then work isn't work. And we find fulfillment. And when we mix our gifts with our passions, it's like spiritual rocket fuel. And it rockets us into new significance and new heights of serving and impacting others for God. And then when we mix those with our natural abilities that we'll talk about next week, the sky's the limit. Now finally, while each one of us is given a unique individual heartbeat, we are also called to come together as the body of Christ. Paul talks about this often. Each one of us are individually members of the one body of Christ. We need each other. And it's so great, there is a wide variety. But if we are the body of Christ, then who or what is the heart? Who or what is the heart of the body of Christ? Well, the answer is obvious, right? Jesus is the heart. Jesus is the heartbeat of the body of Christ. And so I think it's important as a church, as the body of Christ, to consider in what ways do we need a heart transplant? In what ways have we drifted from God's heart and God's passion? For the world? In what ways can we do better at reflecting the heart of Jesus? 
Now, Jesus was very clear on what his passion and his heart was as he came into the world. When he was asked why he was here, he said he came to seek and save the lost. That's how Jesus described and summed up his ministry. In Luke chapter 15, he tells three different stories, and he starts out with one where he talks about a shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep to go find the one lost sheep. That's his heart. That's his passion. That's what he calls us to. And then right before Jesus leaves this world, he gives us a mission. He says, go and make disciples of who? Every nation. That's the heartbeat of Jesus. Is our heart like his heart? Where do we need a heart transplant? Is our heart beating with his? When we allow Jesus to be our passion and to be our heartbeat, well, then everything changes. We readily sacrifice in order to reach others with the gospel. We're reminded daily that it's not about us. It's about those who do not yet know who Jesus is. We suddenly realize we can't just sit around in a holy huddle and feel okay about it. Because there are thousands of lost people who need to hear the gospel. When we let Jesus be our heartbeat, then our sole desire is that more and more would hear the good news. And we'll do anything, and we'll change anything, and we'll let go of anything to accomplish that mission. Church, we have an opportunity each and every day as the body of Christ to live into that heart that Jesus has for us, to let him be our heartbeat every single day. Let's make him our most important passion. Amen?